Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. I'm Chad. Wait a second. Wait a second. (laughs) Time out. Time out. There's no timeouts in podcasts. Okay. All right. Time in. Time in. Game on. All right. Okay. Game on. I was going to go get some Swedish fish, but that's probably bad podcast etiquette. Yeah, that's going to take- You don't have Swedish fish while you podcast. 15 minutes of the podcast, just eat one Swedish fish. Oh, right. They stick in your gums. You never get those You're right. Okay. It's fine. The Swedish fish will still be there. (laughs) So who are you? I'm Liz. Okay. All right. And what are we talking about today? Well, Swedish fish, for one thing. Yes. I mean- And most importantly. But after that, the name of the wind- Gotcha. Chapters 30 through 43. 30 through 43, that's right. Though and, sidebar, can I say mm-hmm. that, you know, up until I met you, I was always a Twizzlers fan. You've swayed me. They're both they're both worthwhile confections. They are, but Swedish fish have really grown on me in the last year. They're good. I mean, I feel like I've shared this, this literary masterpiece with you. I just want to, you know, Talk tell you how much I appreciate some areas where I've given back. Exactly. You know, I mean, I appreciate that. That's a valid thought. Good. All right. So chapters 30 through 43 is what we're talking about. And next week we're going to cover chapters 44 through 59. Right. 44 through 59. Uh, We will talk quickly about um, our spoiler policy, which is very simply that Liz has read these books several times. I have not read these books. uh, So please don't spoil me. Um, uh, do everything you can to 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 stay spoiler free uh, on social media around me, and I'm I'm trying very hard to do that as well, and being careful about where I go to. Um, and then we likewise will not spoil you, though right I sus- I suspect most people who are listening have probably already read the entire book. Um, all right, so let's let's go ahead and get into our reread. So we start at chapter thirty, which is we're still back in Tarbian. Yes. So this is the kind of the, the almost like the moment of clarity, I feel like. Right. Because at the, the, the chapter we ended last um, week, Quoth had just heard Scarpy's story mm-hmm. and yeah. had gone back to see him a second time. And, and he had told him the story of the Chandrian and Lan Ray and all these connections were made. And, um, you know, we had seen Quoth kind of shut down after the murder of his parents Mm -hmm. and almost become this completely different character while he was living on the streets in Tarbian as you would. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how, um, just what a, a, an interesting character arc that was, um, and how realistic it is, you know, and how in a lot of fantasy novels, you don't really see that you see a, something terrible happens, but the character soldiers on and, kind of character arcs move in this sort of steady upward motion. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you see here. And it makes it for me all the more realistic. Yeah, it does. Um, and, you know, through having suffered through something that traumatic, um, in a typical fantasy novel, although most of them would certainly address it. Um, it would be a very brief thing. You know, you might have a page, a few paragraphs, perhaps you would get a chapter, but not, what we had in Tarbian. Right. And so Quoth has been through this, um, this sort of dissociative state for many years where he's, he explains that part of his mind went to sleep. These memories get buried and then he meets Scarpy Mm -hmm. and the Scarpy, the storyteller and Scarpy is telling a story of the Chandrian and Mm -hmm. all of the memories start flooding back and all of those things start to wake up. And something I hadn't, um, picked up on before but i caught kind of going back and, and rereading and skimming things is that this is the same scarpy we assume that um the chronicler had yes. said he was you know sent there by scarpy mm-hmm. to look to look for him so um you know and scarpy when we meet him is already pretty ancient mm-hmm. so he must be super ancient now but um i hadn't initially picked up on that but it's the same scarpy so this is somebody we've at least whose name we've heard at this point yeah. right yeah and when we leave at the end of chapter 29 um 
Quoth is sitting, you know, just kind of breaking down um, in tears over, you know, realization of what's happened to Scarpy, but also that um, he reads through the inscription that uh, that Ben had put in his book. Um, and that is kind of when he was like, clearly, university is where I need to go to. And I really expected when we started this next bunch of chapters that there would be, you know, it would be a longer process for him to go from making that realization to actually formulating a plan. But nope, at the turn of the page, he's at the book binders, he's he's selling the book, he's getting enough money to get passage uh, to the university. So, and now we sort of see the the old quoth and a, and a hint of who he's going to become. Yeah. This decisive action, mm-hmm. um, the ingenuity um, that he uses to. Um, I, I love the scene with the at the booksellers, yeah. where the bookseller tries to get him to sign a receipt that um, that basically says, I, "I hereby attest that I can neither read nor write." Yeah, yeah. And he just comes back at, at him with a really witty comeback, and um, yeah, like a. Like, not just a witty comeback, but like, you know, I mean, a, a brilliant comeback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and also kind of in typical quote fashion, a real smart ass comeback. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he doesn't just say, you know, he doesn't just turn it around and say, I can read, you mm-hmm. know. No, he, he plays, he really plays it up. He writes down the two D's and he says, this mm-hmm. one means that the contract is null and void. Mm-hmm. And this one means that by attempting to defraud me, mm-hmm. you were like, you know, and like, and the guy, the guy's like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, but at the end, they end up shaking hands and, and uh, the guy at the book, the bookbinder who starts off, you know, seeming like a jerk to us, eh, seems like a halfway decent dude. And, and this is, this moment is, was so great for me because we've, we've just been waiting for it. I mean, here you have this character who is a prodigy. He's brilliant. He has spent three years living a life on the streets, getting just beat up, mm-hmm. um, not using his abilities, um, just in this state of constant trauma. But finally, it clicks into place, and it's it's it was just such a wonderful moment. And I, I loved how when he leaves the booksellers, mm-hmm. he steals <laughs> pens and ink from him. I don't know if you oh, remember yeah, that yeah. part. So, um, but he says, you know, I, I, that the bookseller was then kind to him for a minute mm-hmm. or gave him a penny. And, and he said, I almost felt bad that I, I stole three pens, but there was no way to put them back. So I stole so the I ink stole anyway. stole the ink pot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, uh, um, kind of speaks to something that, that happens continuously with this character and all throughout this section. And so I'll, I'll bring it up later. But, um, so he goes to the book binding, sells the book, um, and then also goes and buys a meal and clothing and a bath. Um, and it's just like this whole rebirth, mm-hmm. you know, this whole, you know, like it really is like coming out of a dark period, you know, and um, and it's, it's a good thing to see because, you know, we just went through something that was pretty tough to read. You know, the whole the whole scene with his parents, then going into Tarbian, uh, you know, it was a pretty pretty dark chapter you know mm-hmm. so it's nice to get a little bit of levity and light mm-hmm. and i think this whole section that we that we picked to read even though it's not it's not without its drama by any means um but it's sort of a refreshing pace after what we've seen um over the last couple of podcasts that we've done well yeah and i think even more so because the book has been so dark the last several hundred pages to then see him stand up and and he's got now this this agency and he's taking control but it's not um it's not done capriciously like he's earned this he doesn't just turn and become a different person or a different character and you see he also doesn't just revert to childhood prodigy quoth he he carries that the street smarts with him. You know, I, I feel that childhood prodigy quoth would not have sort of instinctively just nicked pens and ink from the bookseller. No, he, you know, and and we so we see some of those traits that he's picked up on the streets. Those are going to stay with him. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you know, I think a few chapters down the line in this section, he even kind of outwardly talks about that. Yeah, um, which we'll get to later. But but yeah, so and I I absolutely loved also the way that he manipulates um, 
the getting clothes for himself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is pretty, pretty funny. Pretty hilarious, yeah. Um, my favorite part of that, which I think is a foreshadowing, is when he talks about um, noble sons, mm-hmm. about the idea of, like, you know, there's nothing more reckless mm-hmm. than a nobleman's son, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and I feel like, you know, we're going to have some foreshadowing of that a little bit later in this section. Um, my favorite part of it, I mean, there are two, there are two parts to me about this whole section before he leaves Tarbian. Um, the first is that he goes back, um, and, and talks to Trappis. Yes. That part was very touching. Yeah. And he, um, you know, which actually is the second one, but we're out of chronological order, but I think, I think you'll forgive me. Um, so he, he goes and talks to Trappist and he was worried, you know, because the kids didn't recognize him, but he was worried that Trappist didn't recognize him, but Trappist with barely even looking at him, mm-hmm. you know, knows, knows who he is, you know? Um, and so that was a very touching part. And the other part, my favorite part of this whole section is the cobbler, the old man selling shoes. Yes. Like that he's walking down the street and he's talking about like, something's wrong, something's wrong. He can't quite put his finger on it. So he, um, then he realizes, oh, wait a minute. I'm actually part of the crowd now. Like people aren't looking at me like, you know, a disgusting street urchin. They're not paying me any any attention, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's how, how much of a unsettling and weird thing that is. And yet, despite all that and him you know, instinctively looking away from the guards, he fails to realize this whole thing, selling the book, getting clothes, that he never bought shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and he's laughing at the cobbler, like, you know, the cobbler, you know, he ducks into the cobbler to, to avoid the guard, and the cobbler makes a joke and says, you know, I think I know why you're here, you know, and and Quoth is like, oh, this old hack, mm-hmm. you know, only to look down and realize he, he's legitimately not wearing shoes. Right. <laughs> he, he had been so long without wearing shoes that he didn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't even cross his mind. But um, the way that uh, Patrick Rothfuss builds out that character mm-hmm. in such a short period of time, you know, and you feel like that's not just a perfunctory, oh, we have to get some, like, no. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a, a, a spelled out, a likable character Mm -hmm. you know that takes place in a couple pages yeah and you've got these um not even secondary characters like tertiary characters that that have come in and been like a moment of kindness for him and sort of balance out the um just all the ugliness that's been going on in his life and it is it's 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 like a relief from that yeah um well the morbid things that have been going on yeah and this whole section um, I mean, not that no kindnesses were done for him when he was a street urchin, um, but very few. But throughout this whole section, there are all these instances of people being kind to him, you know, people giving him half his money back or giving him the shoes for free, you know, and, and all these instances that if he had looked like he did simply hours ago, mm-hmm. And also been in the same kind of mental state mm-hmm. that he was literally hours ago, wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't have happened. So then, um, Quoth it makes his way to the drover's lot and mm-hmm. and books a passage with a caravan heading yep. to the university, and we meet a couple of new characters. Yeah, well, yeah, a handful. Yeah. So, so what did you think of Denna? So Denna's a strange bird, right? So she's clearly a strange bird. And and this is probably the most puzzling part of the whole thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, you can understand, you can kind of understand what's going through Quoth's mind. Like, it makes perfect sense. But um, he spends a lot of time with Denna. Mm-hmm. And we know nothing about her. And she's v- deliberately cryptic. Right about her background and where she comes from. And he's deliberately cryptic about mm-hmm. his as well. So um, I'm not trying to say that as a fault, but um, but it's, you know, it's an interesting thing. He goes through that whole thing with her um, where he, you know, 
wants to run away with her, but he realizes that's ridiculous. And then he gets jealous when this other guy shows up. And then, um, you know, and then at the end, you know, they're saying goodbye. And she's like, you know, come with me or I'll find you or you can find me. And he's like, but I knew I was never going to see her again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just sitting here thinking, all right, are we are we going to see her again? Mm-hmm. Because on one hand, there's a part of me that, that agrees with him and says, no, you're never going to see this character again. Mm-hmm. But then there's another part of me that feels like he left a lot of mystery there very mm-hmm. intentionally. Right. You know, he intentionally... By he, you mean Patrick Rothfuss. Correct, yeah, I'm sorry, right. the author, yeah. Um, he left a lot of very intentional vagueness there. And I f- feel like he wouldn't have done that if she was, if the, that mystery wasn't going to be answered. Right. Um, so I'm really perplexed as to what's going to happen there. I guess if I have to guess, I'm going to say that we run into her again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a puzzling one. So... And then we meet a couple of other other new characters. Um, I mean, all in this this wagon caravan he's going, and it's. Yeah. I just think it's so interesting to see how Quoth starts to interact with people, you know. Yeah. And it's it's just a night and day sort of um, interaction for him, um, going from a kid wearing a, a filthy burlap sack to all of a sudden, you see him have to sort of put on his trooper's persona and, yeah. and become someone else. Um, and, and he does it well, but um, it's just so interesting to see him, that character kind of make that leap into yeah. interactions. And even that, he seems reserved. You know, he expresses several times that, you know, this was, um, you know, this was something that was not comfortable for him, that he had to, you know, that he, his wits weren't fully about him, you know, um, and how difficult it was for him to kind of jump back into that. So it's not like... Mm-hmm. It's not like he turns a page and he's a completely different person, maybe mm-hmm. on the outside, but you know, you get the sense that this is all still kind of him trying to figure out how to, how to interact with people on a peer level, mm-hmm. which he hasn't had to do for quite a while. Yeah. And another thing I, I liked about the caravan section was how Patrick Rothfuss does his world building um, and that we meet some characters who are from different countries, yeah. um, but he manages to do it um and like you said, he's got these these tertiary characters who are who are still well rounded and interesting. And um, you know, one of my major um, problems with the Wheel of Time, and you know, I don't like to talk bad about the Wheel. We of got time. nothing bad to say about got, the Wheel of Time. I you you and again, I have to like every podcast tell you how much I love the Wheel of Time. It's it's a huge. I've I have literally camped in front of a Barnes and Noble. <laughs> at midnight the night before a wheel of time book came out to get my hands on it um was the only person there beside my brother but anyway so I, I feel like i need to disclaimer that but one of the problems i had with with that series was the the world building was almost always done with this like exposition yeah, like this yeah. guy is tearing and he wears this kind of hat and these kind of clothes and this is what he likes and they you know and and it feels so much more organic um, it does. in 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 this series and i i prefer it when authors do it that way so we meet these characters who are from other countries and and they do a thing this way and why why does the wife give the money back and yeah. it's because that you know that's because that's, that's the way they the do way it they in their play. country yeah, exactly. and then it's kind of left there so there's mm-hmm. there's more to be discovered but it's also kind of a reminder that this is a big world there are yeah. lots of different countries you know quoth's world has shrunk to mm-hmm. this one section of this one city, but it's kind of an exciting reminder that there's a lot more out there. Yeah, and it you know if you look at if you look at the world building through the narrative, uh, and you try to compare you know Robert Jordan to Patrick Rothfuss, it's almost like they're opposite ends of, of a spectrum. Um, you know, Patrick Rothfuss goes very far the other direction of really only giving you what you need at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and at times, even that can be frustrating because there are a few. There have been a few times where I'm like, I'd really like to get a broader sense of what's going on, mm-hmm. um, but you don't. Right. Um, and and I'm okay with that. You know, if I had to choose between the two styles, I'd take this style every 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 day, um, as opposed to the massive, massive laying out of histories and mm-hmm. articles of clothing and. Uh, you know, and who begot who, you know, that Robert, that Robert Jordan tended to favor. Um, 
but uh, but it's not but it's not without its limitations as well because there are several times I'm like I really want more right background. Well, and yeah, I just see Patrick Rothfuss. His storytelling is so much more character driven. Yeah, and um, I I think that that helps you connect to the story more, but also does make it sometimes harder to understand things. You kind of have to go back and draw connections and and remember things that happened. Yeah. you know, and and those things do come back, but um. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, but I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from Patrick Rothfuss. He mm-hmm. he writes a great story, but, uh, but it is interesting to look mm-hmm. at the the two comparisons of the mm-hmm. of the two different styles within the, our our preferred genre. You know, books we spent a lot of time with, two completely different approaches mm-hmm. to to the same thing. Right. You know, and in fantasy, you know, world building is obviously more important. I would, I I would say than it is in other genres. Not that the setting is any less important, but uh, if you're if you're writing a murder mystery in, you know, uh, 1997 Chicago, people already kind of have a sense of what that's about. You don't need to lay a groundwork. Whereas when you're building a completely new world, you know, it's a very different set of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, we're off, we're off script here. <laughs> Do we have a script? No. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, what the last thing that really stands out to me in the caravan sort of segment is the scene with the loot. Oh, it's my favorite part. It was pretty good. I I read that at at night while we were in bed and you Mm -hmm. were sleeping and I, and I had to see, I I got so excited. I knocked my mic. He did. (laughs) I I almost wanted to like tap you and wake you up and be like, he's going to play the loot. I was f- <laughs> so, and, and I'm gonna fanboy a little bit uh-huh. on this section. I don't know if this section is better written just because it's something that's of an interest to me, mm-hmm. and so therefore I look at it more critically uh, or absorb it more deeply, or if it's really just an incredible example of writing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know, but that whole section, you know three or four pages of the loot and when he sees the guy bring it out it's like a clinic on show don't tell Mm -hmm. like just a just a master class in how to write that like if you're if you're a young writer like read that section Mm -hmm. a lot because it's it's a phenomenal job you know and then when he when he first grabs the loot and he as soon as he strikes the strings, like the tone changes. Mm-hmm. As soon as he plays that string, like now all of a sudden you like he he goes from it being a very external sort of thing and him like observing at, like every motion mm-hmm. that Josen you know makes every you know like twitch of his body and how he could tell that he wanted to put on a brave face and give him the loot, but really he didn't want to give him the loot. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he strikes those strings, it all focus goes inward and, and it all turns around on a dime. You know, and he even says that at this point he wasn't paying attention to mm-hmm. anything outside of himself at all. Um, and that is very much how it can be when you're playing music is mm-hmm. you can really go into this state where you're not aware of all the things that are going on around you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that happens to me a lot. So yeah, that by far my favorite part of this whole section and, you know, something I really, really loved. So fanboy mode off. <laughs> it was excellent. <laughs> I love it when you fanboy. Yeah. I, I kind of see this, this arc, this character arc as being um, from the time he loses his father's loot and then I see it sort of ending here, this sort of metamorphosis into the next stage of his character. Mm-hmm. And I think even it's outwardly said in that section that he um, he realizes as soon as he starts playing that the hard parts that have been forming in Terbian crack and just leave yeah. something stronger underneath. Yeah. But that the brokenness is not so much there mm-hmm. and that he's kind of completed at almost like an image of a, of a chrysalis. Um, mm-hmm. or a shell around him and now he's kind of broken out 
And so I just see that that process. And I, I love the symmetry of it kind of beginning when he loses his father's loot mm-hmm. and it ending the next time he picks up a loot and gets to play again. Yeah. Um, even if it's just a, sort of a momentary thing. No, it was it was great. And, ever, and, you know, the whole time he was in Tarbian, I'm like, he's just got to find a way to get a loot. Just get a loot. And then he'll be set. And you totally forgot that he like knows magic too, but. I know, right? Right. <laughs> or like do magic. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Or he, he'd even just be a storyteller. For, right. You know, he could do a million things, but, right. he, but he can't because mm-hmm. of where he is, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this whole, the whole, the whole thing, you know, from the time he is lost in the forest, you know, to this point is really, really a, a pretty, a pretty awesome thing. But, you know, so this chat, this was in chapter 34. Um, and what I, one of the things that struck me was the last line of that chapter, because we've been talking about how dark this section is. Mm-hmm. And the last line of that chapter is when he's, after he's played the lute and every, and everyone's dumbfounded and he just kind of goes off by himself and he says, you know, um, you know, and what if there were tears? Uh, he was just a child and had yet to learn what sorrow was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If if this isn't sorrow, then I'm not sure I can read the rest of this book. Because <laughs> that was some sorrowful shit. It was pretty sorrowful, yeah. Like, that's some sorrowful shit, man. Yeah. That's, that's rough. Mm-hmm. That's rough. But then, okay, so then we go, we get to the university. Well, we do, yeah. Finally, at the university. What is your, your take on that sort of, so we read up until his, through his admission and his first sort of kind of getting acclimated at the university. What, what was your take on that? So that is a section like the wizarding school kind of thing that mm-hmm. could really could really be done poorly or could really make it have a very hack sort of Mm -hmm. air to it but it doesn't Mm -hmm. um it's still probably not my it's not my favorite of the Mm -hmm. stuff we've read but by no means is it bad i don't mean not at all um you know i i enjoy it overall and i one of the things i enjoy about it is that um it it has sort of a combination of one not being as heavy and dark as the stuff that was going on in Tarbian, but two, still being important, still having drama, because ultimately, you know, for what we know of this character and what his goals are, this is far more critical to him Mm -hmm. and him meeting those goals than, you know, what happened in Tarbian, you know, short of him dying in Tarbian. Right. You know, it wasn't really, you know, this was just more of like a, it was more of a, um, purgatory sort of state you know that he had to go through um whereas this is much more more critical to his overall mission but it's not as heavy so so i enjoyed it i think there's some pitfalls in that because that's obviously a trope we get we see people beat down a lot you know and what is that well just the idea of uh, i mean how many fantasy books have you read about like where there's a wizarding school or like the Wizards Guild it's, that it's they so go through. Interesting yeah. because having stopped where you did, it's just very interesting to hear your take on that. Because for me, I feel like this is the most realistic on like a deep gut level um, recounting of what it's like to be in college. Like I completely, and and maybe that's because I'm looking at, you know, the rest of the book as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can't really separate out kind of just those first couple of chapters where he's just still sort of getting into it. But for me, Patrick Rothfuss just describes what it's like. And I think as you get, you do get further along and more into the relationships that he builds, you know, and it's, um, I, I forgot by the end that I was even reading about. Uh, like a wizarding school or yeah you know don't wouldn't even use that but that you know the the relationships and the characters become very real and nuanced and so it's just very interesting because i think when i read this this was one night where i stayed up all like yeah till an ungodly hour because i just couldn't put it down um yeah and i and and i 
bring that up to let you, you know, just sort of to, ugh, I can't find my tongue here. Um, I bring that up to say that it's got some potential for pitfalls, but I think he avoids them. I think he, well, no, he I just think, job, I just yeah. think it's very interesting to look at like, what are the different, um, reactions at stopping at this point versus, you know, yeah, yeah. as you go throughout. Yeah. Um, it reminded me, you know, it, as much as I, I agree with you about the whole college thing and I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but, but you're right. Um, it also kind of has an air of the military about it to me. Mm. Um, particularly in the way the relationships can potentially be so dangerous mm -hmm. because where in college, if you piss somebody off, and I did piss people off in college. Mm -hmm. uh, you just, <laughs> you? Yeah, believe it or not. Uh, you just don't take classes with them anymore. Right. You know? um, but, you know, if you piss off your battalion commander, you're stuck. Right. Like, you know, and that's kind of the way the university is, that there's really... I never thought of it that way. I mean, never having been in the military, I guess, but yeah. So, yeah, so so it kind of had that air about it to me as, as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, how he gets his way in you know he gets into the building first thing he does is he goes to the archives he can't get into the archives so he goes to the admission hall and then he sneaks in i love this watches all these other people go mm -hmm. through you know because he wants to give himself every advantage mm -hmm. um and then he goes through does this brilliant job and then when they're all done has the balls <laughs> To say, not only accept me, but pay me three talents as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the cojones on this kid, mm -hmm. you know. And then it's it was interesting to me, and I feel like this is the second time it's happened, where he's had a reaction to something because he misheard or misunderstood something. Mm -hmm. And when they tell him that they want him to, you know, his admit he's admitted. Um, and his tuition is less three talents mm -hmm. and he doesn't hear less three talents. He hears three talents mm -hmm. and just is devastated. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, well, I came all this way and I'm not gonna be able to do anything. Mm -hmm. You know, and when they, when he finally realizes that's not what it is, they're going to mm -hmm. give him three talents. Mm -hmm. He just breaks down on the floor and weeps, mm -hmm. you know, and I, th that was another, you know, emotional point for me. Um, that, you know, I thought he did a good job of. And I think you would, mm -hmm. you know, if you went through all that. Well, and there's definitely still, um, you know, you realize how much of this character is his bravado yeah. and how much he's just still kind of holding it together yeah. at this point. Um, and his his identity is, is still really much in flux at this point. Yeah. But even in even in that little moment you know, where he accomplishes so much, gets into the school, et cetera, he still manages to find a way to make an enemy. Of course. You know. Right away. Right away. <laughs> I mean, and he can't help but run his big mouth. Like, right. You know, that's just who he is. Right. You know, that's just who he is. So he gets in, they accept him. He um, he gets to meet some of the other students. Um, you know, he gets to- Who are some of my absolute favorites. There's some good characters there, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you know, you meet Savoy, who's this drunk, you know, nobleman's son. And mm -hmm. that was that was one of the moments where I was like, I want to know more about this. Because, right. you know, it's implied that he's like the prince or heir apparent of like some huge kingdom or mm -hmm. maybe a second son or mm -hmm. something along those lines. But he's clearly the son of a king or something like that. But you don't have enough of a sense yet right. of what the overall landscape is to really have a sense of who this character is. Mm -hmm. You know, you only have a couple of interactions. You get a good sense of who he is. I mm -hmm. take that back, but but not how who he is in the greater world. Right. Um, but that doesn't, you know, perhaps you don't really need to. Right. So I don't want to, I don't want to sound negative about mm -hmm. it, um, but it was just an area where I was like, oh, I wish I knew more about these kingdoms and, you know, and, and what relevance this might have to the overall plot. But we're so far in, so early into it, we don't even know what the overall plot is, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, so no harm, no foul there. Uh, he meets Ambrose who, you know, rejects him going into the archives mm -hmm. um, and, you know, is a real prick about it. Um, 
Master Lauren, who I suspect walks around constantly in a state where he's in the heart of stone. Yeah. You know, that that um, trick that Ben taught him mm-hmm. so he doesn't have to feel anything. Because, I don't know, maybe that's just what I'm hopeful for. Mm-hmm. That at some point we're going to find out more about him mm-hmm. and that he's really not this incredibly cold. Not that he's mean. Right. But he's just very unemotional. Right. Um, you know, and I hope we're going to find out more to that and it's something along those lines. Maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. not. Um, we get the first hint that he loves his books more than he loves anybody. Master Lauren. Master Lauren, yes, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then... Um, and a Willem and Sims. Mm-hmm. So yep. he's got this little, kind of in the first couple of days, he gets, he's got this little kind of cadre. Yep. Um, where he, he gets accepted into that you get the sense that they're already friends. Mm-hmm. Sovoy, Manet, Willem, mm-hmm. and Simmons. And they sort of just draw him in. Um, and that that's, for me, that was just such a lovely moment. You know, here's this character who's been just on the outs for so long and he manages to get drawn into what seems to be a really nice group of yeah of kids and one 50-year-old dude who yeah <laughs> and didn't we all know that 50-year-old dude in college we did i think i'm going to i'm going to be that 50-year-old dude in college <laughs> i may very well be um <laughs> but um yeah and even savoy who comes across initially very much mm-hmm. like a prick seems to be halfway decent right. um so then he goes to his first class of course it's with heme and of course, you know, it's all stuff he already knows. And of course, he can't keep his mouth shut mm-hmm. about it. He can't just sit there and take the A. No, he can't sit there and take the A. He's got to. And that's something that I would have done when I was, you know, young. But Yeah, you would have. And now I would just sit there and go along with mm-hmm. it. Um, but he can't, you know, he can't hold his tongue, you know. And then he has to come back the next day and him a really pulls a dick move on him Mm -hmm. and the classic the classic the classic dick teacher yeah mr quoth here is going to teach class today (laughs) did i ever tell you that happened to me in high school no i did yeah did you do did you pull hell yes i did i I totally believe you hell yes i did (laughs) pulled up in geometry class mr dukes thinks he can teach the class today come on up here mr dukes and teach the class today and I did. You taught some goddamn geometry. I, I taught bet. some goddamn geometry. <laughs> Ten minutes later, he was like, "Go sit down." <laughs> I completely believe that. <laughs> don't don't tempt me. Um, did you make a wax mommet though? And, I didn't. And perform a malfeasance no, on your not, teacher. I didn't perform a double right. binding. Good, no. good. No double I, binding. I did going not. <laughs> so I mean, I'm I'm no quoth. Right. Know. Um, I was a hothead, but not right. not that much. So so Hemi got the hot foot. He got the hot foot for sure. And uh, quote, I, I the one part in that scene I really loved where he says um, he's talking about the end, and Hemi tells him to go sit down, and he he turns and he says, um, "There's a there's a trick of the stage, a certain inflection that you can use that signals people to applaud." And he can't describe it, but you can picture it, can't you? Yeah, you you totally know can. exactly yeah. what, and you so you know exactly how he turned to the yep. class, and they all burst into applause. And um, yeah, it's just such a that was such a fist pumping moment. You just love that for him, even though you know, yeah, it is not going to end well. No, it's there not is end no well. way he gets away with this, and it ends well for him. And it's just his, you know, his naivete to think that that's going to end well. You know. Um, at the same point in time, you can't. You don't really fault him for it because Heme is a dick. He's a dick. He's a huge dick, you know? And he deliberately goes out of his way to embarrass people. You know, what he did to that poor young woman who showed up late, where he told her to, you know, cross her legs, and now that the gates of hell have been closed, right. we can begin. I mean, just a... Right. This right. guy, you know. And, and then you remember that He's Quoth, the schoolmaster from Pink Floyd's The Wall. He is. A- and then we remember that Quoth is the kid who dumped lie on another kid for, yeah, you know, for a grudge. And obviously a, a justified grudge. But I mean, he, he's not going to sit there through through a semester of this guy. No. Um, teaching him like no. that. So. so he goes from one spectacle to another spectacle mm-hmm. because he goes... 
instantly out of his class and all of his friends are like, dude, <laughs> shut your mouth. <laughs> like that was the part where I realized Savoy was actually not a huge prick. Right. Because he was, because he, he was probably the most vocal and being like, dude, you got to keep your damn mouth shut. You know? Well, you know, and that's what I love about these, these really, um, the secondary characters who are also nuanced. Yeah. It wasn't like, okay, these are the stalwart friend characters and they're just going to be nice right off the bat. And you know, it's going to progress like that. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, but they're, they're complicated. Like this one comes in and you mm-hmm. met him in the middle of a bad day yeah. and he's drunk and something bad happened to him and he comes off. Not great. No, he doesn't. But he's, he's not, not a bad person or a mean person. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's, I just love the, the nuance of all these characters. Yeah, and so he goes from one spectacle to another spectacle because he goes right right into the the trial or tribunal, whatever they call it. Being on the horns. Being on the horns. That was a great scene. It is, yeah. And um, where they lay out all the accusations, and of course he turns it around, you know. Right. Turns. I mean, you know. Because it turns out that Master Heme didn't mention to the other instructors that he had asked Quoth, to give a demonstration to the class. Of course. Kind of yeah. left that part out. Yeah, kind of an important detail. Kind of an important detail. And I love when the the um, the chancellor, you know, um, turns to him and says, like, you you let him? You let him make a moment of you. Mm-hmm. At, and then you bring him up on charges of malfeasance. Like, so you yeah. can tell the Heme is not um, popular with pretty much anybody. Except no. maybe one or two, he's got his little cronies, but yeah, it, um, and and so far, it's my only, I guess I'll say criticism of the book, is that there are some characters who are just dicks for no other reason than to create an obstacle for Quoth to just show his brilliance, you know. You know, I'll be honest; I just didn't see it that way. Mm. Um. I mean, definitely Heme is probably the least nuanced of the characters, but some people, especially people in, in authority like that, are just kind of power hungry jerks. That's true. You know? Mm. And do we need that much background to understand why he acts that way? No, no. And I, and I said, I mean. Fight some... me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that'll play well on a podcast. <laughs> Hold on. We fought. We fought. You won. I won. You won. You won. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a weak criticism, but it's just, you know. No, I, I get what you're saying. I, I didn't I didn't particularly, that didn't particularly bother me. Yeah. I was kind of ready for a, a character that I can just love to hate. And um, Yeah, I, I, I mean, the one I hate, I mean, more, and I, who I think is going to be the bigger, the bigger issue, is Ambrose. Oh, Ambrose. Um, and and who knows? I could be wrong about that, but um, he's the one who you know when I, of course, because I, I didn't pick up on it the first time through, you know. But when I went, I usually read through this stuff twice. So when I read back through it, and I caught the line about the nobleman's son and mm-hmm. how they're just a force of nature and destruction, yep. you know, and Ambrose is the one that immediately comes to mind right you know because although it's never expressly stated that he comes from nobility um he's described in such a way no no actually I think no he, it he is does. expressly he does, stated yeah. in this part yeah yeah um so yeah it's expressly stated that this mm-hmm. kid's the son of some sort of noble mm-hmm. and he just could not just couldn't be more of an ass mm-hmm and a destructive ass mm-hmm. than he is. So, right. so what happens is that, you know, um, Quoth turns this tribunal being on the horns, uh, into something positive. He gets admitted into the Arcanum. Mm-hmm. He's been at the school for like two days. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Manet has been there for 30 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets admitted into the Arcanum. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, he still has to take three lashes because he was irresponsible with his um, sympathy. Right. And so he goes, he gets himself drugged to show off mm-hmm. um, or to give him an advantage mm-hmm. through this thing, through this whipping, so he doesn't have to show weakness. Right. Um, and it allows him to get through it 
but it also dulls his mind. Right. So that when he goes back to the um, to the archives, the only thing he really wants out of this whole thing is to go to the archives. Right. He just wants to be permitted to sit in the archives and learn what he wants to learn more than all the rest of the stuff. Mm-hmm. But when he goes back, you know, uh, he he has to get into this feud with uh, with Ambrose and being with his brain being dulled, he falls right into his trap. Mm-hmm. Like, and Ambrose just, you know, hook, line, and sinkers him, mm-hmm. you know, to where he's, at the end of this, he's banned. Banned? From the, the archives. archives. Banned from the archives. Poor quoth. I mean, now, let's be fair. That's not having the Chandrian come and kill your parents. I mean, right. you know, but still, you know, and it's one of the things that gets me about this character is that there's a, so his default way of getting around obstacles is through deception of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're okay with that. Right. Because he's a sympathetic character. He's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think that's justified it is that the background he comes from is one of minstrels and bards and actors. Mm-hmm. And so he has the skill set to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you parlay that into an experience where he's a street urchin and he's literally just stealing to survive. Mm-hmm. But now you have a character who his default way of handling any problem is through deception of some kind, some right. sort of subterfuge or theft or that's just the default nature of this character now. So um, he is no Ned Stark. You know, he is he's a different kind of person. But um, but he keeps putting himself in harm's way or, or getting himself in trouble. In this case, I think, was just the most glaring one. That, like, he had to find a way to give himself some sort of upper hand with being whipped and not showing weakness, but then forgetting that the downside of this drug he used to dull himself was this effect that it would have on his brain. He just outthinks himself and then puts himself in a situation through his own deception, through his own use of, you know, less than straightforward means, causes a huge, huge penalty to himself. Yeah, and definitely um, you see this one constant you see with this character is not acknowledging his own limits. Mm-hmm. Um, and feeling like i guess with enough bluster and bravado that he can just kind of bull his way through things yeah and um it's just it 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 is interesting to see that play out um and definitely although he does blame ambrose for sure because you know for good reason he also just kind of blames himself yeah you know to his credit um to his credit he is kind of like wow I jacked that one up. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, to his credit, he, you know, and, and this is one where, you know, we're, I, I, I think we're clearly dealing with an unreliable narrator type scenario. Um, so you would, you know, he would, I guess, be within his rights to sugarcoat those sort of things, but he doesn't. Right. He, yeah, I made a real ass of myself, you know, and, and I would I would say he does that in several places where he, you know, he doesn't try to make himself come across as being uh, super righteous. Like that's not a part of a part of it. And again, to his credit, you know, he talks about, you know, things he's done that he's not proud of and things, mm-hmm. you know, and where he's all the, you know, a lot of the things they call me uh, are true and worse, you know, like he doesn't hide from that stuff. So, so that's to his credit, but yeah, that it was just, I'm looking at all the things he he does, and his default reaction is deception of some kind. And this time, it really comes back and bites him in the ass, you know? Right. And I, I think that's definitely something that grew in his time in Tarbian. And, yeah, you know, I, did you read the part where he goes to the medic 
after? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I wasn't sure if that was in the oh, yeah. section. It was. We skipped it. We just right. didn't talk about it. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing that, um, one important thing that happens there is he, when the um, Master Arwell, the uh, medic, kind of calls him out. And it's yeah. like, you're going to tell me what's going on. Yeah, And yeah. you're going to tell me the truth. Yeah. And he's more honest with him than he's been with anybody else. Yeah, true. You know, because mm-hmm. he knows he has to be. Yep. And um, he tells him that, you know, he lived on the streets. He took the Nar route because he learned that the only way to deal with enemies is to make them think they can't hurt you. Yeah. You know, so again, you're reminded that this is a 15-year-old kid. Oh, yeah. Who lived on the streets since he was 12. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he doesn't just magically become a well-adjusted individual as much as he kind of puts on the front. And it's so interesting that he falls into this. So he falls into this caravan, speaks the language to the caravan owner, falls right into them like he was one of them, gets mm-hmm. along instantly. He yep. falls into the university right away. He's able to, um, you know, I, well, one thing that sticks out is his, his first conversation with, um, with his gang in the mess hall mm-hmm. and they are um, asking him what he wants to study. And he says he wants to study the Chandrian yeah. and they're like, what? what? And he right <laughs> away has some sort of academic speak that he, yeah. oh, I'm yeah. interested in folklore and how it yeah, relates yeah. to this and that theory, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right away he is able to mold himself to fit in with any group, Yeah, you mm-hmm. know? And I just think it's so interesting. And I always bring up the theme of identity, but mm-hmm. I, I see that as being one of the main things that, that weaves through this story is, is, what makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. And so now we have this character who is very good at blending in, becoming another person, depending on who he's with. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I want to be clear that like his, his default use of deception, like I'm not coming at that from a negative angle. It's just, right. it's just an interesting way of looking at, you know, who some of our favorite protagonists are, mm-hmm. you know, and some people we love, for their honor, you know, and some, and we equally, you know, just like we said, Ned Stark, we mm-hmm. love Ned Stark for his stupid, stupid honor. Like, but see, Ned Stark wasn't also like a prodigy musician, master magician. Yeah. If he had been all of that and honorable, we probably would have hated him. No, yeah, good point. To be fair, <laughs> I mean, we would have been like. <laughs> Oh, oh, and and you and you had to be like like a stud on the loot. Like my God, God. So like quotes. I feel like quotes. Um, shall we say dodgy moral compass? Yeah, yeah. You know, makes his character real. You know, especially considering what he's been through in his life, and you can see. Like I don't see quotes as a child. I mean, probably. I mean. I wouldn't, he was certainly wouldn't fall into like lawful good category cool, oh, as a no. child. Mm-hmm. You know, he need things needed to make sense to him. Rules needed to make sense to mm-hmm. him. But yeah. I also wouldn't say that his default as a child was deception. No, agree. You know, no, I th- think that's something he yeah. picks up on the street. I agree with you. Yeah, I agree. I think it's more that, um, you know, when he's out on the streets, you know, you're right. I think that's where that comes from. But because of his childhood bringing up in the uh Adima Rue, he's got the skills <laughs> right to be really good at right you know like you know and he's got the you know he's got the mental aptitude to you know and the skill set to sneak in the back of the and watch all the students go through their examination interviews <laughs> you know and we kind of love that because we do, yeah we've just been waiting for like 200 pages for this character to just finally just crush it just crush something well it reminds me and and i'm gonna draw a weird parallel here but it it reminds me of the same reason why we love james t kirk from star trek because he cheats at the academy Mm -hmm. and he breaks the rules nice you know because nice parallel yeah he, he had a problem put in front of him that nobody it was you know making the glass candles burn at the, mm-hmm. you know, at Old Town. Like, you couldn't do it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and he, you know, rather than just seeing the problem being framed in that particular context, he found a way around it. Right. You know, he found a way around it without regard to what the context was. He 
you know, he's like, here's the problem. I'm going to get on the other side of it, you know, and he used a way that nobody else had thought of to do it. And that's one of the reasons why we love James T. Kirk, you know, that and his horrendous overacting, um, you know, and one of the things we love about Quoth is that he will find the way to have the upper hand in anything, you know. Well, Quoth still has this, you know, he just has a very deeply uh, internal moral compass. Yeah. You know, he's not as concerned with, you know, what's, he still is going to try and do what's right. He's not going to go out of his way to harm people. Yeah, correct, yeah. You know, and that kind of thing. But in the end, a big part of what he determines is right is what he can get away with, you know? Well, and I think he, you know, he also kind of has a greater mission, you know, and it's like he wants to find out what's going on with the Chandrian mm-hmm. and the Amir. And that's, you know, it's sort of like, okay, little things to get between me and my goal be damned i don't care right. if, i don't care if i have to lie to a clothing clerk to get some clothes so i can go to the university like what, well and he kind of that? lies to um to willem right away or is it simmons i can't remember he's mm. talking to one of his new friends who is waiting with him while he's waiting to get whipped and oh, yeah. does not tell him that he has taken or he, he somehow manipulates him yeah. into helping him get Nar root. Yeah, yeah. So that he can he can carry out his scheme. Yeah, yeah. And and he does mention, I think, saying like, Wow, this this new friend who sat with me and I He does, it's Willem. Repaid him with lies. It's Willem, okay. Yeah, and he does, yeah, yeah. So I mean that's that is an interesting I hadn't really thought about that before, you know, we we talked about him um and deception, but Yeah, I mean he you know it's sort of, you know, damn, damn the consequences. I'm going to get where I need to get, you know. Um, and that's not necessarily a negative thing, but it's a different thing that we don't always see mm-hmm. in a lot of our fantasy protagonists. Right. You know. Which is why this book is so great. It's all right. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty so good. what are your predictions for the next section? All right. What do you think's going to happen? So... I said that I think Denna is going to come back at some point. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really not very comfortable about that but right. um but i have to go with that um i have to say that uh ambrose i think is going to become more of a protagonist than just a one-off sort of antagonist i'm sorry antagonist thank you not like a pike who you know right. has to deal with and then disappears i think that's gonna be a bigger issue that carries on mm-hmm. um and i'm gonna have to say that somehow he finds a way to get himself unbanned mm-hmm. from the archives. Okay. I don't know how. All right. I'm sure it will involve deception of some kind. Right. <laughs> but he's going to find some way to get back on uh, Master Lauren's good graces. You know, and here's the other thing. He's going to, what I think is going to happen is that he's going to, his vengeance is going to get the better of him mm-hmm. and he's going to have to find some way to get back at Ambrose or maybe not even to get back at him, but to get kind of around that scenario and it's going to end up causing, you know, he's going to make an enemy of a person he really doesn't want to make an enemy of. Like I have a feeling that that's going to be a bigger issue than him pissing off Heme, Master Heme. Right, because we learned at the very end of the section that we read that Ambrose is not just some noble son. He's like, he's like a Kennedy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. like you just don't, you just don't F with this family. Yeah. You know, he's not some like piddling nobleman's son. He's, you know, a few steps away from the crown of a very important country. Yeah. And we, we, we hear a couple of stories of, of people he has basically made disappear. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I I think it'll be one of those scenarios where it won't be clear cut. Like, it won't mm-hmm. be like, oh, Quoth decided to just go get his vengeance. Like, it'll... Well, he did pretty publicly declare vengeance upon him. Do you remember that part yeah, at the what, end? Yeah. He, uh... Hold on, let me turn to it. Mm-hmm. At the end, after his friends tell him, like, hey, man... Like, back off of Ambrose, leave him alone. This is how important he is. These are all the people whose lives he's ruined. And he kind of says, oh, I'm not saying anything about Ambrose. I was just quoting a part of my favorite play. (laughs) And then he he quotes this 
this play. And he says, upon him, I will visit famine and fire till all around him desolation rings and on and on and on. And and uh, I just thought that was that was pretty funny. So he was like, he listened to that and he was like, yeah, okay, hear what you're saying. But um, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm pretty much just going to. Yeah, I, I I could be making a mountain out of a molehill, but I feel like this is going to be very central to the overall plot. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like this is not a Pike character that right. he just pissed off because he crushed his daddy's lip. I think this right. is going to be, it's going to have much, much deeper roots in the overall story. Mm-hmm. Or it could end up being right. something that blows over in a few chapters. Right. I don't know. Um, but I suspect that it's going to be a bigger one than that. Mm-hmm. All right. Is there anything else that we missed in here? I think we covered the section. Probably. Pretty pretty good. (laughs) But I think we're going to end it anyway. I I feel like we covered it pretty good. I think we did. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. we did. All right. um, So thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, And don't forget to give us a review on iTunes. Um, We are also now officially in the Google Play Store and Stitcher. And also on TuneIn Radio, which is not uh, one that I had known about until recently. Um, so we're available on all those things. But really, yes. the iTunes reviews are super, super critical for our success. So if you like us, give us a review on iTunes. doesn't even have to be five stars. I found out that the more reviews you get, good or bad, the better it makes your rankings. But we oh. prefer the five stars. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Um, and where can you find us? You can find us at the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com, on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess, Twitter at the D and D Podcast. And I think that's all of them. Yeah, we probably need to set up an email address. I had one set up through the Duke and Duchess Podcast, but it's bouncing emails right now, so I gotta figure out what that's all about. But the best ways to get in touch with us are, are through Facebook and Twitter. Those are the most reliable. Right, and we we may have a Snapchat coming as well. Really, okay, possibly. Um, and and I did want to address a question that was posed to me, uh, via Snapchat. Fantastic. So this is this is your answer, Sarah, who <laughs> posed this question to me. And, and Sarah Sarah mentioned to me that she wanted us to do a podcast entitled "How I Find Time to Read with Four Children." <laughs> so I I did share some some wisdom with her. Via the Snapchat as well. But mm. also, I wanted to know if you had any input into that. I mean, they don't have to bathe every night. Right. Right. And that's what I said, obviously. <laughs> that's the first thing that can go. Yeah, I mean, also, I wanted to add, you know, cereal for dinner. Valid option. Yeah, you got to do it every once in a while. Right. Yeah. Right. And and then we, we have this lovely thing that, that we do when you're not here. We call it reading dinner, where mm. it basically means you can bring a book to the table, but you have to shut the hell up. <laughs> and if you want anything you have to get it your damn self your and those are those self. unspoken rules of reading dinner so uh, it gets a little chaotic but but you have to find time i mean i think the key word to sum it down you know to one simple concept is negligence what it's not half-assed parenting <laughs> you're teaching them that reading is important you know what our kids love to read reading or bathing which one are you going to pick Obviously, the reading. You know, edify your mind or wash your stinky pits. I mean, if they find a way to read in the shower, you know, but that's not my fault that nobody's done that yet. That's on science, <laughs> not me. <laughs> I'm, I'm down with you. I mean, I can have a waterproof iPhone. Why can't I have a waterproof e-reader? You know, it's so frustrating. You know when I am sucked into a book the way that I am. I do. And I walk around with this book or the e-reader, whatever, in my left hand and I will unload the dishwasher and read. I'm it's in, but I can't shower and read. I am. I've never told you this before, but there have definitely been times where I have had my book open on the edge of the sink and I will duck in and wash something and then duck my head back out and turn the page. Sounds so, legit to me. Right. <laughs> Sounds totally How else legit. are you going to do it? So get on that science friends. Right? Reading in the shower. It needs to happen. We got some people we got to put on that. Okay. Right. We, make, we got to make that happen. Then we can claim responsibility for it. <laughs> so enough of that. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be back. What, what are we going to be reading next week? 
Okay, so um, it's it's another big chunk, and mm-hmm. we may slow it down after this. We may. We're yeah. gonna see how it goes, but it's gonna be forty-four through fifty-nine. Fitting chapters. Right. It's about another about a hundred pages. Gotcha. So I think you can handle it, and I'm. I appreciate your faith in me. You can. And I'm excited. I'm excited for this next section. Some good stuff going on. We're, we're gearing up to, you know, I, I feel like as the book progresses, we may slow it down because it gets a little more plot heavy. heavy. Yeah, gotcha. And so um, there'll be there'll be more more to kind of plow through, but. Gotcha. That's cool. it. Good night. Good night. All right, bye-bye. Mm-hmm.